Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We continue our study in Matthew chapter 18. I was at a gathering of pastors this week and they asked the pastors, how many of you plan your sermons out for a year? Okay, how many plan them out for six months? How many of you just do week to week? I was the only week to week guy. And this, this was certainly a week to week passage because I was going to preach on all these verses and I only got through verse one. The, the first verse, 15. Um, because I, I think that it will be helpful uh, to uh, think of how we are to go to one another in love uh, when we're in sin. And I saw some things in this passage uh, that I've never noticed before. That, that In this one verse <laughs> that I've never noticed before in my life. And I hope that encourages you, that you, you can be a you know, 46-year-old a person who's read through the, the Bible every year since 2000 and be a pastor who's been to seminary and study all these books and, and prepare sermons for 11 years and yet new stuff in a passage you've read over and over again. There's always more in the Bible to see. Amen. Always more. Um, and I, I love studying God's Word. Thank you for allowing me to do that and share what I've seen with you. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. We will focus on verse 15, but I'm going to read the whole uh, 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 15 through 20. This is Jesus speaking with the same power and authority as if He were standing here before us. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Father, we thank you that you are in a special way gathered with us this morning. For we are more than two or three. We thank You, Lord, that in a special way You are present with us today in the gathering of the saints. You, you promised to be in a special way with the, the assembled people on the Lord's Day. Your day. The day of the resurrection. And so we praise You, Lord Jesus, that You are with us. We, we praise You that we can study Your Word today. We ask, Lord, that You would teach us what it means to, to go to our brothers and sisters who are in sin and show them their faults, their sins privately, and to gain them, Lord. We pray You would teach us what that means. We pray that You would teach us how to do that. We pray, Lord, that You would help us love one another enough not to remain silent when we see brothers and sisters in sin around us, when we are sinned against. But we pray, 
Lord, that we would love You and love Your glory and love these people enough to go and show them their sin in humility and love. We, we pray You would make us a church that knows how to deal with conflict. That You would make our marriages in, in our church uh, uh, strong in, in dealing with, with conflict and sin. That we would do it biblically and rightly. So we invite You, Holy Spirit, to come and teach us now. And change us. And let us see Jesus. For Christ's sake. Amen. This chapter, Matthew 18, is about how to relate to one another in the church. How to love one another in the church. How to humble ourselves and submit to one another in the church. How to deal with offenses and sins and temptations in the church. How to forgive one another in the church. Verses 1 through 6, in verses 1 through 6, Jesus calls us to humility We are small and utterly dependent upon God like little children are dependent on their parents. Verses 7 through 9, Jesus calls us to turn away from sin in our own lives and to turn away from tempting others to sin. Verses 10 through 14, Jesus calls us to love the straying lost brother or sister just like Jesus and our Father in heaven. Love them and go after the one who's lost. And we come to begin verses 15 through 20 today where Jesus shows us how to pursue the straying brother or sister in love and for their own good and ultimately for the glory of God. Last week, we saw that Jesus is the God-man and good shepherd who came to save that which was lost so that we will not despise one another And we are motivated not to despise one another because our Father in heaven deeply loves us and will never let us perish. One of the ways the Father ensures that we will never perish, one of the ways the Father has ordained that that straying and lost sheep are brought back into the fold is through us pursuing them when they stray or fall into sin. We are to go after the lost sheep like Jesus and His Father go after them. That's what we see in this passage. Today we see Jesus Christ, the God-man, loves His people so much that He calls us to pursue the one caught in sin, just like He and His Father do, so that the lost or straying might be rescued, restored, and redeemed from the road to destruction. In Matthew 18, verse 15, we see the first step to take when a fellow Christian sins against you. Look at verse 15 again of Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is the first step. This is the first step. I want you to notice some things about this verse. This, this, is, this is amazing to me. I've never noticed this before. Um, just notice Christian brothers and sisters still sin against each other. Did you, did you, I've never noticed that before. I've never noticed that here in the authority and power of the Lord Jesus Christ, He declares that brothers and sisters in Christ still sin against each other. 
He blows out of the water sinful, sinless perfectionism. I, I just want you to see that. There, there is a false doctrine that, that, that has been taught in the history of the church called sinless perfectionism. Uh, namely, that we as Christians at some point in our Christian life get to the point where we never sin anymore. We've totally arrived. We're like Jesus and we don't sin. That is unbiblical. That is wrong. That's not true. There is always more like Jesus for you to be than there is today and yesterday. You see? There's always more growth that I can have in Jesus than I had yesterday. There's always more growth to have. And Jesus, Jesus Christ said these words, if your brother sins against you, brother, brother, Christian, Christian, if a Christian sins against you, oh, I thought Christians don't sin anymore. Jesus, you died on the cross, so we don't sin anymore. No, not according to Jesus. I'm going to go with Jesus. Jesus says brothers sin against each other. I'm getting excited about that, and you probably wonder, that's not the main point of the text, so why is he getting so excited about that? Because I've never seen it before, and it's amazing to me. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, Christian brothers and sisters still sin against each other. We thought about that a lot last week. 1 John 1, 8 through 2, 1 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Beloved, I simply want you to notice what your Lord and Savior and King and God Almighty says, that brothers still sin against each other. Believe Jesus. And yet, did you notice what I read in 1 John 2? He's writing these things so that we may not sin. We hate sin. We don't want to sin. We fight sin. Remember, we, we, we saw that, was that last week? It seems like forever. Was it last week we talked about cutting hands and eyes off? We, we hate sin. We, we take extreme measures not to sin. We don't want to sin. We hate our sin. We want to be more like Christ. He wrote this so that we won't sin, but if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And praise God that Jesus has come to deal with sin. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to know that you're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all broken God's commandments. We've disobeyed mom and dad. Kids, you know this, right? You disobey mom and daddy. That's a sin. That's a sin. It's a sin. We, we, we lie. We cheat. We steal. We, we, we commit sexual morality. People having sex outside of the marriage covenant is a sin. And Jesus says, the, the, the Word of God says, the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. They'll go to hell. God, God doesn't play around with sin. He sends sinners to hell. That's what we all deserve because of our sin. The popular sins of our culture. You know, men dressing like women, women dressing like men, all of this transgender rebellion against God Almighty, that is sin. He will send them to hell for that sin. People who, men and men having sex, women and women having sex, homosexuality, God says men who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the Word of God says, and it's loving to tell people that. 
It's loving to warn people about the wrath to come. And all of us deserve hell. All of us deserve God's judgment for our sin. But praise God, He loves sinners. God loves sinners. He loves transgender people. He loves homosexuals. He loves fornicators. He loves proud Christians who act like Pharisees. He loves judgmental people. He loves sinners. And so He sent His Son, Jesus, into the world who lived a perfect life, who never sinned. Fully God and fully man, truly God and truly man, He died on the cross where He suffered God's wrath and curse and judgment for sinners. He died. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the dead. He's the only one who's conquered death. Muhammad and Buddha, they're dead. They can't save anybody. They can't save anybody. They're dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. And He calls all people everywhere to repent of sin, to turn from it, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. You can't earn this. You can't work for it. Muslims are working their hind ends off to get to heaven. Going on hajj. Taking their shahada. Fasting in Ramadan. Giving alms. Hoping they might do enough good deeds to get to heaven. You can't. You can't. You can't do enough good deeds to work your way to heaven. Only Jesus did enough good deeds to get everybody to heaven. Jesus lived a perfect life. He's the only one who can save you. You must believe in Him. You must turn from from your works and believe in Christ's work. And when you believe on Him, when you trust in Him, all of your sins are forgiven. You can know it. You can know it. All of them, past, present, future, all of them cast into the depths of the ocean floor, never to condemn you again. All Christ's righteousness counted as yours by faith alone. The double benefit of justification we get, God declares us righteous, not guilty. That's the glorious gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, have you believed in Him? Have you believed in Him? Have you trusted Him? He'll save you. He'll change your life forever. And he, he, his spirit will come in you and you will, you will, you will begin to hate your sin and love him and righteousness and holiness. You'll begin to love his word and want to live the way that he calls you to live. And yet we still battle sin, don't we? Even as Christians, even as Christians, we still battle with sin. And yet, we're progressively sanctified. We're being made more like Jesus day by day. We're being made more holy by the Spirit of God. We're growing in godliness, growing in holiness. And yet, every day, we still fight sin. Every day, we still have to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because every day, we still sin. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Daily bread, daily sins, daily forgiveness. And we're growing. And Jesus teaches us here today, brothers still sin against each other. Brothers in the church still sin against each other. And He's showing us how to deal with it biblically. We're going to sin against each other till Jesus comes back. If you don't believe that, you need to take it up with your Lord and Master and King. Because He said in the book that brothers still sin against each other. I'm going to go with Jesus. And he tells us how to deal with it. This is about how to deal with sin properly. And these steps that Jesus tells us, the, these commands, 
uh, for us to take when brothers sin, they're done in order to gain our brother. Did you notice that in verse 15? It, when you go through this first step and he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You've gained him. We, we take these actions because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want them to be gained. We want them to repent of sin and turn to Christ. We want them to grow in Christ. We want them to be more holy. We want them to know more joy and delight and satisfaction in Christ. We want them to grow in maturity in Christ Jesus. That's why we take these steps. We don't do this step so we can feel better about ourselves, so that we can build up our hurt egos. This step is not taken uh, b- because we've been hurt. Oh, they hurt me, and, and we have our rights, and we want to point out what they've done wrong. That's not why we do this. We don't do this because we want revenge or we want to put them in their place. No. Those are all selfish, ungodly reasons. No, we do this out of love for the glory of God and because we love this person who sinned, sinned against us, and we want them to be restored to Christ. This is the loving thing to do. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Sometimes things happen and, oh, well, just pray about it. Just pray about it. That's good to pray about it. Yes. But Jesus says more. I'm going to go with Jesus. Amen, amen. Jesus says to, to go and win them over. Go and, and show them their sin and win them over. Th- th- this is taught all over the Bible, by the way. Not, not just in uh, this passage in Matthew 18. It's, it's taught in the law of God. Leviticus 19.17 Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. Proverbs, it's taught in the wisdom literature. Not only in the law, but in the wisdom literature. Proverbs 27.5 Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. We say, well, I'm not going to say anything because I love them. No, actually you're not loving them. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Love is going to go and do what Jesus says and love your brother. Love always does what Jesus says. Jesus taught this in other places in the gospel, like Luke 17, 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And, And here, Jesus just says, if your brother sins... So this applies whether your brother sins against you or whether he's just in sin. Either way, you want to go to your brother because you care about them. Whether the sin's against you or just sin in general, you want to go to them because you love them. Luke 17, 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Paul teaches this, inspired by the Holy Spirit in 2 Thessalonians 3, 14-15. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, commands this as well. James 5, 19-20. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
We want to be like the Father and like Jesus and, and chase after those who are ensnared in sin and wondering that we might, that their souls might save from, be saved from death and we can cover over their sin with the blood of Christ. And brothers and sisters, we ought to be the kind of people who invite this kind of confrontational tough love. We ought to be the kind of humble, broken, grace-filled, Christ-loving people who invite this kind of confrontational tough love. Because we love Jesus most. We, we, we love Jesus most. We want to follow Jesus and obey Jesus. So we want other brothers and sisters to confront us as strongly as they need to when we're being disobedient to Jesus. Get in my face. Get in my face. Get my attention. If you need to, lest I die and walk away from Christ and go to hell. I want to be with Jesus forever. I love Jesus more than having my feelings trampled on poor Joseph. <laughs> Please, step on my feelings. Get in my face. Tell me if I'm doing something wrong. Tell me if I'm in sin. I want to know. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be with Christ. That, that's how believers think. Yeah. We, 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 we may not like it. When, 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 you know, in, in our flesh, we don't like it when people tell us we're doing something wrong, when people call us out. We don't like it in our flesh, but, but in, in our heart of hearts as Christians, we want to be confronted yes. with our sin because we want to change. We want to be different. We want to be transformed. We want to be like Jesus. We love Jesus. We want to give Jesus glory. We want our lives to give Jesus the glory. And so we want people to come and tell us when we're in sin. We want other brothers and sisters to confront us when we're being disobedient to Jesus. There was a man, I believe he was a professor at Westminster. I don't remember his name, but I remember reading the story about him uh, going for an interview uh, for church membership. And he asked the pastor, Pastor, I, I just want to know how you as the elders in the church are going to handle a situation if it were to arise in my life if, if I were ever to have an affair and cheat on my wife, what would you do? And the pastor said, well, we would, we would follow the steps of Matthew 18 that Jesus says we would come to you, we would, we would confront you about your sin and call you to repent. And he says, and the man says, well, what if I don't repent? Well, we'll, we'll do what Jesus says. We'll, we'll take two or three witnesses that every matter may be established and we'll call you to repent. And the man says, well, what if I still don't repent? Well, we'll do what Jesus says and we'll take it to the church and we'll tell it to the church and the church will pursue you in love. And the man says, well, what if the church pursues me in love and I, and I don't repent? Well, we'll do what Jesus says and we'll uh, excommunicate you. We'll remove you from, church dis, uh, from the church membership. We'll warn you that your soul is in peril, that you're in danger of going to hell and we'll treat you like a, 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 a sinner and a tax collector, an unbeliever, in hopes that you will see your sin and repent. Now, what, when, a lot of people might hear that and be, ooh, that's not the church for me. But this guy, this is what he was looking for. Okay, yes, I'll join you. You're going to be man enough to do what Jesus says and get in my face when I'm in sin. That's who I want to be with because I want to go to heaven. And I know my heart and I know I need people in my life who are tough enough and man enough and good enough and, and righteous enough and loving enough to get in my face when I'm in sin. 
Paul says, act like a man. That's Scripture. That's just Bible. And so we're going to act like the man, Christ Jesus, when we do this. We, we should want this kind of accountability. That's why membership, church membership is so important. That's why church membership is so important because we want this kind of accountability in our lives because we love Jesus and we love holiness and we don't want to bring dishonor upon the name of Christ or the bride of Christ. And so we want this kind of accountability. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. That's right. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. That's Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Yes. Father, help me not be stupid. Yes. Help me love reproof and love discipline. Help me invite people into my life to say, do you see anything I'm doing that's sinful, that's wrong? Those are good questions, husbands, to ask wives. How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? Have I sinned against you this week? What can I do? How can I grow? And I would invite you to do that. Do it after I get back from vacation. <laughs> uh, uh, but but if you if you come and talk to me today or, or tomorrow or Tuesday, uh, give, give me a break. Don't email me while I'm on vacation because I, 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 I talk to me when I get back. Uh, but but I, I want to be a kind of pastor who invites that, invites feedback for ways in which I I can grow and be a better pastor. If I've sinned against you, come to me. I, I want I want to be open and 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 have an ear to hear. We we all want to be that way. Jesus' command here is for dealing with sin. Not with just little irritations. Jesus' command here is for dealing with sin. This is not for every little thing your brother or sister does that gets on your nerves or irritates you. Now, you may talk to them about that as well, but sometimes we just need to get a thicker Christian skin and overlook certain offenses or irritations in our lives. And the Bible commends this. The Bible commends a thicker Christian skin yes, yes. and overlooking offenses. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is the glory to overlook an offense. It is His glory to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Thank you Jesus. If you're struggling with conflict in your life, this book, I highly recommend to you. It's called The Peacemaker, A Biblical Guide to Resolving Personal Conflict by Ken Sandy. I'm going to be referencing this book a lot for the rest of this sermon, but he writes in this book about overlooking offenses. In many situations, the best way to resolve a conflict is simply to overlook the personal offenses of others. When we overlook the wrongs of others, we are imitating God's extraordinary forgiveness toward us. 
The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Psalm 103, 8-10. Since God does not deal harshly with us when we sin, we should be willing to treat others in a similar fashion. This does not mean that we must overlook all sins, but it does require that we ask God to help us discern and overlook minor wrongs. Overlooking offenses is appropriate under two conditions. First, the offense should not have created a wall between you and the other person or cause you to feel differently toward him or her for more than a short period of time. Second, the offense should not be causing serious harm to God's reputation, to others or to the offender. Overlooking is not a passive process in which you simply remain silent for the moment but file away the offense for later use against someone. That is actually a form of denial that can easily lead to brooding over the offense and building up internal bitterness and resentment that will eventually explode in anger. Instead, overlooking is an active process that is inspired by God's mercy through the gospel. To truly overlook an offense means to deliberately decide not to talk about it, dwell on it, or let it grow into pent-up bitterness. If you cannot let go of an offense in this way, if it is too serious to overlook, or if it continues as part of a pattern in the other person's life, then you will need to go and talk to the other person about it in a loving and constructive manner. And so be praying and considering what offenses you should simply overlook in love and be a model of God's forgiveness. If a brother sins against you, Jesus tells us, go to him privately in a loving and helpful way. Look at verse 15 again. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. First we see Jesus commands us, go to Him privately and show Him His fault. Jesus says, go between you and Him alone. We should keep the confrontation private. We, we don't go and, and tell all these people, can you believe this is what so-and-so did to me? Can you believe they did that? Whoa! We don't do that as Christians. We don't blab it all around. We don't try to get people on our side. Right? We, we, we it, it, go, Jesus, again, our commander in chief, our king, our Lord, go to between you and him alone. Go between you and him alone. We should keep the confrontation private. Now, sometimes advice from godly counselors may be needed, but in most cases, no one else should know except the two of you. We go and show him how he has sinned against us. Go and show him or her their fault. Show them how they've sinned against us. How do we go and do this biblically? How do we go and do this biblically? I am uh, uh, relying on the headings of the chapter of this book by Ken Sandy on how to go. And that's why this sermon sort of turned into a one-off sermon. I think it's going to be helpful for us to think through. How do we go and do this biblically? Bring hope through the gospel. First, we, we go and bring hope through the gospel. Go and tell him his fault. When you speak to others about their sin, come with the hope of the gospel. Come with hope. 
When, when, when you, anytime you counsel somebody or you're confronting somebody about their sin, you always want to bring hope. Again, this is not come with your hammer to bash, bash, bash. Look what you did to me. You hurt me. Oh, I'm so hurt. No, this is a ministry of care and love for their soul because you love them in the glory of Jesus. It's not about you, mainly. It's about Christ and His glory and you loving this other person that they might be gained back for Jesus. And so you go with the hope of the gospel. You go with the hope of the gospel. When you speak to others about their sin, come with the hope of the gospel. They can be forgiven. They can be changed. There's hope. Jesus is their Savior. He will help them. Jesus did this. Jesus was so patient and merciful toward His sinning disciples who sinned over and over and over again, didn't they? I love what this author writes about Jesus' faithfulness to His sinning and weak disciples. They failed to understand. Talking about the disciples. They received Jesus' strong rebuke in Mark 8, 14-21 where Jesus openly suspects them of hard hearts, unperceiving eyes, and stopped ears. They lacked faith. They responded to Jesus' second and third death predictions with remarkable insensitivity by competing with each other for glory and spiritual honors. Jesus' steady loyalty to His disciples in return will encourage you. In Mark 14, the disciples failed completely in the very self-denying obedience that Jesus made essential for eternal life. For in Mark 14, Peter denied Jesus and the rest abandoned Jesus all in order to save their own lives. Yet throughout this increasing failure by the disciples, Jesus remained faithful to them. Beloved, Jesus has a mercy heart. He has a mercy heart. Patient, loving, kind, compassionate. And that's the kind of heart we should come with to others when we're confronting with sin. Ken Sandy writes about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had a similar approach even when he had to deal with serious sin. In his first letter to the Corinthians, he had to address divisions, immorality, lawsuits, food sacrifice to idols, and the misuse of the Lord's Supper and spiritual gifts. But before addressing these terrible sins, Paul's gracious greeting held out hope for forgiveness and change by reminding the Corinthians of what God had already done for them through Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 2-9 To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified In Christ Jesus, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Come with the gospel. Come with hope when you confront. Ken Sandy gives an example of how you might confront somebody who's been gossiping. Gossiping. He, he, He writes, this is how you might come to them. I don't think you deliberately set out to hurt Bill, but your words may have damaged his reputation. The good news is that Jesus died to deliver you, me, and Bill, and all of us from our sins. 
God has given us a warning and a wonderful promise. If we conceal our wrongs, he will continue to discipline us until we repent. But if we confess our sins, he will forgive us and restore our relationships. There is such hope because of what Jesus has done for us. If you ask for his help and deal with this the way he teaches, the whole incident can be completely wiped away. You see how how much of that just focused on the hope of, of the gospel? And not, you're bad, you're a sinner, you did bad, you hurt me. <laughs> I, I can testify that, that, that uh, Miss Lena does this very well for me. I, I've sinned against her in, in, in ways when I've lost my temper with her, and she always comes at me, oh, pastor, it had to come out. God is changing you. You have to be who you really are and show me who you really are. And you get that out in the open and God is changing you, forgiving you, transforming you. Oh, pastor, you have no idea what you're going to be someday. You're going to shine like the sun. And I, I mean, I'm, 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 it's God's kindness that leads me to repentance. Remind brothers and sisters in Christ of his kindness toward them, that he's at work in them. That He's going to transform them. That He's going to change them. You're forgiven. Come to people when you confront them with the gospel, with hope. Next, be quick to listen. When you confront others about sin, be quick to listen. James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We should listen to people. We may have misunderstood the situation. They might not actually be wrong at all. You might be the one that's wrong. As we'll get to, that's one of the reasons to bring along witnesses. The witnesses don't necessarily witness the sin. They're there for when you talk to the person to figure out it, this might not be something someone needs to be confronted about. The problem may solely lie with you. That's one of the reasons we bring witnesses. That everything may be established. And so we come to listen. Why did you say this? Why did you do this? What was your thought here? Be quick to listen. Pay attention. Proverbs 18, 13. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Listen before you speak. Don't plan what you'll say while the other person's speaking. Keep eye contact. Avoid distractions. Truly pay attention to someone when you're speaking to them about their sin. Clarify. Ask clarifying questions. Are you saying this? Tell me more about this. Can you give me an example of this? Is this what you're saying? And then put it in your own words to make sure you've rightly understood what they're saying. Agree with them where you can agree. Find common ground. What do you agree on? Maybe you did contribute to the problem, and so admit that. Yes, you're right here. I did this. Be quick to listen. Next, breathe grace. Breathe grace. This sort of overlaps with come with hope in the gospel, but we, we want to be people who, who are gracious. Again, remembering this is, the, the point of this is to glorify Jesus and gain our brother. We're to be people filled with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 2, uh, Galatians 5, 22 through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, 
Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. We, we want to breathe grace when we come to confront others and show them their faults. We want to be patient with them all. Next, we want to make charitable, loving judgments. We should always seek to believe the best about people. Always seek to believe the best about people. Ken Sandy writes, if people sense that you have jumped to conclusions about them and enjoy finding fault in them, they are likely to resist correction. If, on the other hand, they sense that you are trying to believe the best about them, they will be more inclined to listen to your concerns. Come on now. Believe the best about people. That's what love is. That's part of what love is, is believing the best about people yes, when you go to them. Six, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is, Christ. Yes, we want to speak truth, but we want to do it in a loving, gentle, kind, patient, compassionate, biblical way. Seven, talk from beside and not from above. Talk to the person like you're shoulder to shoulder as someone who's in the fight as well, who uh, uh, very likely has done the same sin that you're confronting them about or is capable of that same sin. Confront them as one who is beside them and not from above them. Beloved, we're all sinners. We all need grace. We all need mercy. We all need the forgiveness of Jesus. We have most likely done the very same thing at some point in our lives before that that person we're confronting has done. And so we come realizing we are sinners saved by grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10 For I am the least of the apostles, Paul wrote, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all than, than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. It's His mercy. And so we come breathing grace. We come uh, as those who are truly uh, fighting our own sin. We don't want to come as hypocrites. We, we saw this in Matthew 7 when we studied that many months ago. Matthew 7, 1-5. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, that's one of the most misinterpreted, wrongly interpreted Scriptures in the Bible. You know, when I say things like, Zechi and Moral are, are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, people, no, don't judge, don't judge. You're judging. I'm just quoting the Bible. That's right. <laughs> I, I, we were, we were uh, Sister Monette and I were out in front of the abortion clinic place where we uh, hold up signs and pray, and this lady she, she cared so much about this that she stopped her car and got out and she says she's a Christian and she's like, why are y'all doing this? Why do you have signs that say abortion is murder? You shall not murder. That, that's not right. You're not supposed to judge people. And if I had my wits about me, I would have said, well, ma'am, why are you judging me? <laughs> I mean, obviously you think there are things so bad that you care so much about that you're willing to stop your car, get out of here on the pavement and raise your voice at me and tell me not to judge. You're judging me. Obviously, there are things so bad in this world, we need to call people to stop doing. Yeah. You think it's this. I think it's murdering babies. 
And I don't think it, God thinks it. And that's why I'm doing it, because if God didn't say it, I wouldn't want to do it, but God says it, so we do it. People misuse this passage. What is Jesus talking about, judge not, that you not be judged? If you keep reading, he's talking about being a hypocrite. If I was going, if I was getting women pregnant left and right and paying for abortions, what kind of hypocrite am I to be preaching against it and standing against it? I shouldn't be judging. I'm doing it. That's what Jesus is talking about. Don't judge with hypocrisy. You're doing the same thing in private. You need to quit doing it in private before you can go tell others to stop doing it publicly. That's what Jesus is talking about. Judge not that you be not judged. Let's keep reading. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Yes, I believe that if I commit sexual morality and don't repent, I will go to hell. That's God's judgment on me. I believe that about myself. With the same judgment I use, that will be used on me. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? He's talking about hypocrisy. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's what Jesus is talking about when He says don't judge. Don't judge as a hypocrite. And we ought to be careful with our own lives that we practice what we preach. And if we're going to a brother and sister who's in sin, are we practicing that sin? Then Jesus said you need to get yourself right first before you go to your brother. Don't be hypocrites, Jesus says. Talk from beside, not above. Next, help others examine the desires of their heart. When you come to people, as a Christian, you're like a heart doctor. Again, this is not about you. I just want them to say, I'm sorry, I'm so mad at them, they hurt me, blah, blah, blah. It's about them being restored to Jesus. See, you care about them. It is some about you. I don't want to overstate that, right? Uh, Ken Sandy said, if you can't let it go, if it's causing bitterness for you, if, if, if it's, you're dwelling on it, yes, you, you need uh, to address this. But, but the, 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 the focus of Jesus is gaining your brother. Yes. And so we come with, with heart questions. We, we, why did you do this? What was going on that caused you to say this, to do this? What are you fearing? What are you trusting in? What, 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 are, you, what are you loving more than God at that moment when you do this, when you say this? What's going on in your heart? We, we want to help them discern the, the intents and idols of the heart. We want to take them to places like James 4, 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. You desire something and you ain't getting it. Or you got what you didn't want. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Help others discern what's going on in their hearts. What are you trusting in? What is your greatest desire? What do you fear? What must you have? Try to figure out the sin under the sin for why they did this and and then take them to Christ and take them to God's Word. Some more practical 
uh, points Ken Sandy makes, choose the right time and place. Avoid times when the other person is tired or in a bad mood. Choose a private, quiet place to have this discussion. Talk in person whenever possible. Uh, um, you know, it, it's good to talk in person if you can. Uh, facial expressions matter. Body language matters. Tone matters. And you can't get that as well in an email or even on a phone call. Hang out with each other. Go get breakfast. Go get lunch. Let's talk. Talk in person whenever possible. Engage the heart rather than declare. People can get really defensive when you declare things. Ask questions. Why did you do this? What were you thinking when you did this? Did you realize what God's Word says about this? Ken Sandy accuses... Uh, 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 suggest using stories like when Nathan confronted David about his sin. He used a story about a pet lamb. Sandy comments, when I talk, when I need to talk to my son about failing to do his chores, I will often use a military metaphor. He admires soldiers, so when I appeal to his ideals of military discipline and respect, he listens more carefully. Engage the heart rather than declare. Communicate so clearly that you cannot be misunderstood. Ken Sandy comments, it is not good enough to communicate so that you can be understood. You need to communicate so clearly that you cannot be misunderstood. It's not good enough to communicate so that you can be understood. You need to communicate so clearly that you cannot be misunderstood. That's why sometimes in, in sermons I'll have a few little points. This doesn't mean this and it doesn't mean this. It means this, this, and this. I, I don't want you to misunderstand. And we should do that in our communication. Plan your words. Plan your words. It's good to plan what you're going to say sometimes. Uh, uh, Proverbs 14.22, Do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. There are some times when we as a church have to bring judgment before the church family and the elders write it out. And I read it because I'm not going to mess this up. And so we got three godly eyes looking on this thing and editing it. This is what we're going to say. This is how we're going to say it. We have to make this pronouncement and we're going to do it. I've had to meet with people personally about their sin and I've written out what I'm going to say. And sometimes I just read it because I'm shaking in my boots about it because I hate confrontation. <laughs> but love does it. Amen. Write out what you're going to say. Use I statements. Help the person you speak to about their sin understand how their actions harmed you. Ken Sandy writes, I was hurt when you made, he gives an example, I was hurt when you made fun of me in front of other people because it makes me feel stupid and foolish. As a result, I'm getting reluctant to go to places with you when others may be around. Let the person know how their sin affected you. Ken Sandy writes, I statements can accomplish three things. One, they tell the other person how his or her conduct is affecting you. Two, this kind of statement identifies what the other person has done that you are concerned about. Three, an I statement can explain why this issue is important to you and why you would like to discuss it. Use I statements. Next, be objective. Be objective. Talk about the facts of the situation. We're looking for truth here. Not your feelings. <laughs> not your perceptions. Not your suspicions. We're looking for facts. Be objective. 
you called me lazy, and that hurt me. Not, you looked at me like I'm lazy. I just felt, I just felt you had this impression toward me. No, you need to get a thicker Christian skin. We want objective facts. You said X, Y, Z. You wrote this letter. Here it is. This is what you said. You are this. Be objective. Talk about the facts, the truth of the situation, not your feelings, not your perceptions, not your suspicions. Avoid always, never, and every time. You always do this. You never do this. He gives an example in his book, Ken Sandy. Uh, Twice this week you lost your temper and called me lazy, rather than you always get angry and call me lazy. But we like to use those words. Always, never, right? We love to use those words because we're looking for daggers to stick in people's hearts and cause pain. You always do this to me. You never do this. Uh, facts. Facts. Truth. You did this twice this week, and it was very hurtful to me. Be objective. Use the Bible and use it carefully. Use the Bible. In other words, if you're going to somebody about their sin, it ought to be in the Bible that it's a sin. <laughs> it ought to be there, right? It, 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 it should be something where they've broken the commandments of God. Yes. And, and you, you should be able to help them see that. D did you know that the Bible says this and you're doing this? You know, um, can we look at this passage together and, and study this? And you should use the Bible carefully. Uh, you should be able to point out the sin according to God's Word, and you, you should rightly divide and interpret the, God's Word. Ken Sandy uh, gives us some points here. Number one, don't quote the Bible to tear others down, but only to build them up. And of course, part of that is if they need to see their sin in the Bible, then, then use it. Number two, use the Bible in context and according to its proper meaning and interpretation. Three, encourage the person to read the verses in the Bible for themselves that you want them to see. And four, know when to stop. Give them time to consider what you've shown them. It may take more than one meeting. And, and you have to patiently bear with somebody and just let them think on the truth that you've shared and come back next week. To continue. Use the Bible and use it carefully. Ask for feedback. Ask for feedback. When you're talking with someone, when you're trying to help them see their fault, it, use phrases like, I'm not sure I've said this clearly. Would you mind telling me what you think I've said? Or, have I confused you? Or, have I explained myself clearly enough? Or, what are you thinking about the meeting that we had? Or, what have I said to you that you would agree with? And what have I said to you that you would disagree with? You're, you're, you're trying to get feedback to come to better understanding of one another. And recognize your limits. Recognize your limits when you confront someone. You cannot change a person's heart. Only God can. Amen. You cannot change a person's heart. Ultimately, only God can. We want to obey Jesus in this, right? We go to our brother in private. We show him his fault. If, if he listens, that means, yes, you're right. I, I said this. It was hurtful to you. I'm so sorry. 
please forgive me, which, by the way, is the right way to respond, not just apologizing. So many people, when you come to them, just say, oh, don't worry about it. Now, I, I, had, I had a guy come to me this week, and, and he really didn't sin against me. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a sin. I wasn't offended at all. Um, but he thought he had, so I, I sort of handled it that way. But I did say, if, if you feel I've, you've sinned against me, I forgive you of whatever you, you feel I've sinned against you. But I didn't think he had done anything. But if, if someone has truly sinned against you and you go to them and, and they see their fault, and I'm so sorry, Warren, I, I did say that. It was insensitive. It hurt you. You know, you want to acknowledge the pain. You want to acknowledge that it was wrong. You want to say, I'm sorry. And then you want to say, I forgive you, right? And you should ask me to forgive you. That transaction needs to take place, not just I'm sorry. I am sorry, but I forgive you. And this is so good on what forgiveness means. It means I won't hold this against you. I won't dwell on it. I won't bring it up again. I won't let this interfere with our relationship anymore. That's what true forgiveness is from the heart, right? Because you can mouth those words, oh, but she did that. And still hold it in your heart, right? And Jesus, will, when we'll get to the, the end of Matthew 18, He says, you must forgive your brother from your heart. Yes. And that means when you say, I forgive you, I'm not going to think on it, dwell on it, hold it against you, won't bring it up ten years later. Remember when you did this? I, I'm not going to let it have separation between us. It's over. I'm not going to talk to others about it. We are back like we've always been. We, we want that transaction to take place. And only God can grant that person that kind of repentance. Recognize your limits. Ken Sandy writes, Finally, whenever you are trying to show someone his fault, remember that there are limits to what you can accomplish. You can raise concerns, suggest solutions, and encourage reasonable thinking, but you cannot force change. God may use you as a spokesperson to bring certain issues to the attention of another person, but only God can actually penetrate the other person's heart and bring about repentance. We talked about this in the membership class this morning. Repentance is a gift of God. You can't even repent unless God gives it to you. That's why if you know there's sin in your life and you're fighting it, pray that God would grant you repentance. 2 Timothy 2, 24-25, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. God has to grant repentance. The same thing is taught in, in Acts 11.18. Acts 11.18, we read... When the Gentiles, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God. Or uh, when the, actually, that's when the Jews heard this. They fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. God grants repentance. Know your limits. God has to grant them a repentant heart. And you should pray for that before you go, right? Father, help me as I go confront my brother, sister. Help me love them. Help me care about them. Help me say the right words. I've planned it out. I've written it out. I I, I, I want to do this in a loving way, biblical way. I want them to be gained for Christ. Lord, uh, please grant them repentance. Lord, please show me if I'm wrong, if I'm too sensitive. Lord, show me if I should overlook this. Lord, please help me do this in a way that honors you. And grant them repentance. Grant me repentance in anywhere. I need repentance. God, show me my sin. We all need grace. And then finally, we read, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
Again, beloved, this is the goal. The gaining, restoration, repentance, sanctification, growth in holiness of your brother or sister in Christ. You want to go get them for Jesus. That's what you want. That's the goal of this. Uh, Galatians 6.1 speaks of this as well. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, see, this is any, any sin, not just against you again, in any sin. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Restore him. In a spirit of gentleness. That's the goal. We want to gain him back for Jesus. Gain him back for Jesus. This is Matthew 18, 15. May God give us the grace and the strength and the knowledge and the wisdom to love one another this way, to obey this passage. And we do that always by looking unto Jesus, don't we? There is one man who has ever lived, that you will never need to go to in order to confront Him about His sin against you. Because He has never and will never sin against you or anyone else. The Lord Jesus Christ. He has always loved you perfectly. He has always loved God perfectly. He has always loved everyone perfectly and has never sinned. Yet He took upon Himself all of our faults and sins. The Father heaped upon Him and Him alone all of our faults and sins, though He knew no sin. And God went to Him and Him alone in wrath and anger and judgment and cursed His own Son in our place on that cross where Jesus died. And then He rose, He raised Him up from the dead so that all who repent and believe in Him shall be gained back for God, shall be saved, shall be redeemed, shall be justified, shall be adopted into God's family forever. And because of this, brothers and sisters, we imitate Him. He came after us with great sacrifice. He goes after the one. When the 99 are safe, He goes after the one. And we ought to do that. And this is the first step. This is the first step in going after lost sinners like Jesus has done for us. Jesus Christ, the God-man, loves His people so much that He calls us to pursue the one caught in sin just like He and His Father do so that the lost or straying might be rescued, restored, and redeemed from the road to destruction. Beloved, do you know a brother or sister in Christ that you need to pursue in love so that they might be restored. Christ Jesus' love is tough and right. He disciplines His church to fight against all sin and evil blight, so she'll be pure in His clear sight. He died for sinners, took God's fright, and bore God's everlasting smite, then rose alive, the world's true light. He rules His church with gentle might, calls her to bind and loose, contrite. We'll be like Him, pristine and bright. These thoughts with joy do excite, for He's our all, our great delight. Father, we thank You that You've told us how to live together with one another 
Even though we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we still sin. And Lord, we thank You that You have told us how to deal with that properly and rightly and biblically and lovingly for Your glory and for the good of our brothers and sisters. Father, we ask that You would help us today not just be hearers of the Word, but the Lord, that we would apply this text. We pray, Holy Spirit, You would apply it to our hearts and that we would apply it to our lives and live it out as You would have us, God, in love and humility and patience that we would be gaining our brothers and sisters when we fall into sin, that we would grow in holiness, that we would love one another enough to help one another grow in holiness, that we would invite this kind of correction because we all, first and foremost, want Christ and to be like Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.